Hello and welcome back to What the Spark. I'm Nisha and today I'll be joined with Leah and Marie and we're going to be covering the Gardner Museum heist. I'll start off with Leah to tell us the story of what happened. It was St. Patrick's Day. It was 1990. It was one, what time in the morning was it? 1.42 a.m. 1.42 a.m. And these police officers, I'm doing hand quotes and you can't see them, but these police officers came up to the security area of the outside of the gardener and they were like, hey, we heard like some alarm, like something went off in here. We need to check it out. And the security guard let him in, allegedly because he saw his mustache was fake or something. What was that part? Oh, he like stepped out of the desk because he thought the guy's mustache looked kind of funky. And then when he stepped out of the desk, he got handcuffed by the actual fake mustache guy. And duct tape. Right. So they weren't actually police officers. They were pretending to be police officers. And that's why, like, they were trying to lower the guard of the guards. And, um, yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God. Then they went in because they just had free freaking rain. They also apparently, like, duct taped the other security guards, like, up. Eyes. Their eyes. Somewhere. They duct taped them together, too. (laughs) Oh, I didn't know that part. It was pretty good. And if you want to see what they looked like, they did look like a, a hippie, the, the security guard with duct tape. It's on the Gardner website. Okay, it was 1990. We're not judging him for his clothing. But he <laughs> did have very long, beautiful hair. It is pretty beautiful. <laughs> he seemed to be okay, though. Like, they weren't harmed, I don't think. Yeah, he looked great. I mean, they almost got bribed. They, yeah, they were bribed by the criminals, apparently. That's true. But, yeah, so they went in, they took 13 different artworks, um, including, like, one Vermeer painting, it was called, like, The Concert, I think, and a lot of other just important stuff. If you guys remember them, just let me know what they were. But they, in the uh, Dutch room, which is a room in the Gardner Museum, um, to, like, honor those paintings, they just left the picture frames, like, to show, like, ooh, something was stolen from here, like, it's, it doesn't belong, you could tell because there's no painting in the frame. Um, fun fact, the first time I went to the Gardner Museum, I didn't know the entire story, and I was really confused, and I thought it was some, like, sort of meta thing, why there was just an empty picture frame <laughs> on the wall. I thought that was the art. It's, like, there is no art. It is the art. <laughs> I was wrong. If you're in like an art museum, like a like a contemporary art museum, like that would definitely be believable. But because the Gardner Museum is meant to stay the exact same way that Isabella Stewart Gardner herself planned it out, nothing is moved around ever. So that's another reason why they may have left those frames is because it's like we can't put anything else here because she didn't decide it, and we we have to respect her wishes. What a power move! She's such a queen. You can't change anything after I've decided it. Honestly. <laughs> yeah. All she did was like curate art her life, you know, with the money that her like husband who died left her. Or no, no, no. It wasn't even her husband. I think it was her family, like inheritance, you know? And she was like, I'm going to collect all the coolest art and do what I want. Boss. Boss. Probably wouldn't be too happy that it got stolen. No. But... 81 minutes, man. Oh, yes. 81 minutes. So most art heists happen apparently in about 10 minutes except the Isabella Gardner Museum the criminals were in there for 81 minutes which is such a long time apparently in the criminal world and 
what we want to know is what were they doing for 81 minutes? Personally, I think they were indecisive because look at all the cool paintings. Like, which ones do you want to take? There's so many. And sculptures. They took a couple sculptures too. Wild. I think another part of it is like, if they actually, like, I don't know how much they actually cared about the artwork. Um, There are sources, not sources, but like stuff about what these criminals are like usually claims that they don't really care about art very much, but I think that they might've taken a long time to like make sure they were carefully removing these things from the frames because like it takes, especially like curators who, not curators, who am I talking about? Oh, conservationists. Like they work very hard. Like when they're touching anything, like they're super careful with what they're doing. Like they barely even touch it with their, like they never touch it with their bare hands, but they barely ever touch it. So like, if they actually did care, I think they might have just spent time removing it from the frames, which is kind of weird because they could have just taken, I mean, why would they take the frames? I don't know. But like, I feel like they could have um, just kind of ripped them out and didn't really care like about the actual quality of the painting. Like, you know, I know they want it in one piece, but I feel like if you didn't care that much, you wouldn't like actually take time to like carefully peel it out of the frame. So I feel like that's my theory on why it took so long. We know my theory is they just wanted to touch all the art in the museum because they had unrestricted access. But um, going back to your point, Leah, I'm kind of curious to see if like maybe, I can't really see, we don't know what happened. Uh, I'd be curious to know, like maybe if they find out down the line, um, if they like thought maybe that there would be evidence left behind, if they just like tore it out. Like I don't really know what would happen, but like maybe hair could get caught in the frame or something like that. Right. Um, and I definitely think they probably didn't take the frames because, A, they're, like, really bulky to transport out because you can't, like, low-key just take out a frame from an art museum. But you can with a canvas, I guess. Um, and then also maybe, like, what if they had trackers in the frame? So Ooh. you never know. I, I wonder how security has changed, like, since then in the MFA for listeners who didn't know. I was in the education department, so I wasn't actually doing anything with, like, real artwork, but I heard a lot about, like, how the security system works and how, like, everything that has, you could see it in the MFA, like, everything that's hung on a wall, there's, like, security things that will, like, go off if you take the frame off the wall. So, like, a lot of uh, places have security in place that will, like, make some kind of noise if you do that. Although in the report for the highest, obviously if any alarm went off, it didn't matter because the guards were tied up so they couldn't do anything about it. And they actually have a um, like transcription of like the alarm system. Mm-hmm. I don't know what page it's on, but it, it, it's like, cause they had, they had motion alarms in the, um, the Dutch room. So I don't know if they had anything specifically for like on the walls, but they had like motion sensors on the ground. So you could see their report of that night. There's just like 10 things in a row that says like movement in the Dutch room, movement in the Dutch room. But you know, it's, it's really interesting how security like plays a part in this kind of thing. Yeah. They relied so much on those actual security guards to protect the artwork. And like they completely removed the human error that could have happened there. Like, I guess they really underestimated that. For sure. Security guards really fell for the fake mustache. <laughs> they did. Um, also, an interesting aspect about it is that the FBI like case about it is still open, and there's a $10 million reward being offered for anyone with any information about the artwork. You don't even have to return the artwork. You just have to know something about how it was taken, which is pretty crazy. That's a big, a big bribe. <laughs> for any listeners <laughs> right now, go ask your grandparents if they know what right. it is. Get the $10 million reward. Even your parents. It wasn't that long ago. Yeah, your parents. 
don't know. I don't know how old they are. <laughs> Let's hear. What if our listeners are like 10 years old? I don't know. Something that I found out when I was doing some of the research about like where it goes, because I feel like, I don't know, I whenever I think about art being stolen, I always think it's like being sold to like sketchy rich people who are like, yeah, I just want the stolen artwork in like my secret bedroom that like no one sees. But like, according to some of the artwork, the, some of the articles that I read, like those people basically don't exist. Like <laughs> in one of the articles, it was like, yeah, there's like 20 people in the whole world who are kind of like that. And like, I don't know how they get this, got this information, but like, apparently it's unlikely that all of the art stolen is going to like secret buyers or like rich people who hide their art. Like apparently a lot of these um, criminals don't like think it through or something. So they're just like, oh, like, I will get someone to buy this. And, like, when they actually try, they're like, wait, this makes no sense. Like, I'm going to out myself as a freaking, like, criminal if I even try to put this on even the black market. But I know that, Nisha, you said something about, like, collateral, use this collateral for drug stuff. A lot of, like, illicit activity, I shouldn't just categorize it as drugs, I've read has been using art as, like, collateral instead of, like, a monetary payment because you can't really fully wheel like 10 million dollars to somebody and just like drop it off and expect them to put that through the bank and so if there's like a universally accepted like store of value like art or in bitcoin if some people put it that way i mean (laughs) it's like a pretty easy medium to exchange and the interesting thing is like no one would really like hold it forever um so i guess in some ways it's still like getting its value as art if people are seeing it and enjoying it that's a good point but I mean, does art have any value if it's just stuck in someone's home forever and no one can ever see right. it in their secret bedroom? Yeah. Back to Leah's point, isn't like part of the point of having art is to display it and show it, right? So like you said, I feel like that's a reason why you wouldn't have very many rich people who just want to hide it away, you know? Oh, true. Like, yeah, I mean, that's why rich people like legally buy right. like, expensive <laughs> stuff so that they can like show it off and be like, oh, like that's why the, the art market is like so insanely like bloated. Like that's why, you know, these rich people are like, oh my God, I just really want to have a Mark Rothko painting like in my house so that my rich friends can come over and be like, that's so cool. So <laughs> yeah, like you're right. That's, that's why I guess <laughs> that's why there's only apparently 20. I don't know who these 20 people are. <laughs> There's apparently only 20 of these people who are likely to buy illegal stuff. So, like, one of the quotes from, I guess, some of the articles I read, this guy, James Radcliffe, who is director of the Art Loss Register, which is apparently a thing, um, he said that art thieves are mostly motivated by the perceived opportunity to take something of significant value. So, like, they just kind of be like, oh, this is valuable. So, like, I could do something with this and then they don't actually, you know, end up doing anything with it, which like comes to another point in that like a lot of artwork, specifically um, sculptures, like when they can't figure out like what to actually do with it, like sometimes they just melt it down or like destroy it, like not just for the purpose of destroying it, but if it is a like a metal sculpture, like they can use that metal for something else, they could sell the metal and it'll be like, um like a good profit for them especially if it's high quality or like old metal or whatever so like unfortunately there's a lot of art that probably like won't be recovered ever because it just was destroyed like immediately after they took it out of the museum yeah especially with like really recognizable things i'm sure it's really difficult if you're just like wheeling like a jeff coons out like what are you really going to do with that (laughs) you know (laughs) true part of me like wonders a little bit about what would happen if that sort of art went into like 
like a thrift store or something where I feel like if you saw that at a thrift store, you wouldn't necessarily like know that this was a famous painting that was stolen or something. Cause I don't know. Is like that kind of art that different from like an amateur to someone that's not like deeply investigated into art. So I wonder like, I wonder how that works. Like it could just be floating around in super, in super low profile, you know, someone's attic somewhere and that'd be pretty crazy. That actually happened kind of with, um, this isn't technically a piece of art, but I used to work at the Commonwealth Museum, which is um, in Dorchester in Massachusetts. And um, we had a copy there of the Declaration of Independence, like an original copy, like one of the original 13, 14 copies that uh, were made at the time. Um, And it was actually found behind a picture frame, like at a, a Pennsylvania flea market. And this guy um, saw this like old picture frame and was like, oh, this is nice. He bought it for $4 and then he took it home. And when he like opened it up, there was an original copy of the Declaration of Independence. Um, And this one says that there was 24. So I guess it was one of 24 that was made. But um, yeah, so that one was then I think uh, taken to our um, museum, I think. Or I don't know if we had that copy, might've had a different copy. There were 24 apparently. But um, that sounds yeah, so, so that might actually night at the museum be likely. I know <laughs> that is true. <laughs> I love night at the museum. Me too. Uh, that's a heist right there. Kind Misha, of. you love heist. I love. Heist. I don't remember the night at the museum movie. I'm sorry. <laughs> I probably fell asleep halfway through. I do really good. Rami Malik, isn't it? How do you say his name? Rami Malik. Yes, icon. Yes, he was the mummy. <laughs> Yes. Well, I think, like, one thing about like, the thrift store painting thing is, like, you never know if it's real, and so much of art's value lies yeah. in the provenance. So, like, have you, I, there's, like, this show that I was obsessed with for the longest time. It's, like, BBC show, I think, um, where they basically, like, found people who thought they had masterpieces and, like, worked really hard to, like, try and prove it. And, like, more than half the time, they couldn't prove it because it's just so hard to establish yeah. when it doesn't come, like, from an auction house or something like that exactly yeah like there's a lot of like it's interesting there's a lot of argument about like what actually makes it like good artwork so like if someone makes like a replica of like a van gogh painting like and it's just as beautiful like as the original like does it really matter that it's not the original like that's something that like we talk about in our history class a lot and like whether or not like we put value in the original artist obviously but like if we didn't know any better like there might be a van gogh painting in a museum right now that wasn't actually painted by him but like we still enjoy it and think it's beautiful and like appreciate it for the artwork. And it clearly takes a lot of skill to forge something. So that's something to think about. Exactly. And it's super interesting how high the price of art goes based on whether it's original or not, when it's essentially like you can't even tell the difference, which is crazy. Also, I think something that a lot of museums do that's really cool is like they have hired people there that um, when a painting gets um, older and there are like little mistakes in it or sort of like collected with age, like little mess ups in the work, they have like recreationists work on that painting. So in a way that's not even an original work anymore, which is interesting. You could say the same for any like restoration or conservation efforts, right? Like it's not that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. altered. I wonder how many paintings and like pieces of art that we like accept in the common public as like real are actually like just complete fakes, like so off base 
or replicas? I'm kind of curious. There's actually, it's so cool. Like, I love this kind of stuff, obviously, because I'm an art history major. But like, we, uh, in my, my second year, we talked a lot about um, this painting that you might have heard about. I'm forgetting the name of it now, but it was like, oh, Salvador Mundi was the name of the painting. And it was allegedly by Leonardo da Vinci. But like, no one could really prove it. And my professor was like adamant that it was not by him, which was really interesting because a lot of like the top like people researching it were like, yeah, it was by him. But like, she was like super convinced it wasn't. And like, I thought she was super cool. So I just believed her. <laughs> I was like, ooh, like, why do you think it isn't? And like, she would talk about it because like specifically Leonardo da Vinci, he had a lot of apprentices, like people who like literally just worked to paint exactly like him. Like they tried really, really hard to like replicate his style. So a lot of the times like they would make paintings that looked like they were by Da Vinci, but they actually weren't because they just were doing a good job of like copying his style, which is the whole point. So like there's a lot of like uh, paintings that were just like sketches and stuff that were like suspected to maybe be by him, but then like the, the carbon dating on the paper is wrong and it actually was some other person. Like, th so there's like a lot of stuff about that, but specifically the Salvador Mundi, another thing that kind of connects back to the restoration thing was that like, if you look at his before and after, a lot of it was restored and like, you don't know if that's even what it was originally supposed to look like. Like you don't even know if that's what it was. So technically the current painting just kind of looks like, like it's the work of the conservationist technically because of how much right. it's changed. So yeah, it's interesting. That's super interesting. Also, that same point goes a little bit to like hyper-realism where sometimes you can't even tell like whether a drawing you're looking at is a drawing or um, a photograph. So at that point, like the value in that hyper-realism is the fact that someone took the effort to like painstakingly do it versus like you could just take a photo, which is interesting that we put so much like like value in the fact that someone took hours and hours and hours to make that. I think that's interesting. Yeah, because when you're looking at it, a painting really just boils down to like the canvas, the paints, like the stretcher. A drawing is like the materials used on that, like the paper, the like ink or pencil or whatever. Like right. at its core elements, there's not so much of value in that, but it's like how we perceive it. So if we're talking about this, like how can we connect that to like, the paintings that were stolen from the gardener like you know like how do we feel about those because those are valued as like being an original and like we miss them that's why they're gone but like you know honestly I don't think those paintings would have been like as valued if they weren't stolen and like scarce right because like scarcity drives up scarce all <laughs> I mean it is there's scarce. one of them and they're gone therefore they're scarce <laughs> I mean like there's no way to like buy it on the free market right now. right that's true so I mean, I'm convinced that the Gardner Museum has, like, definitely seen, like, an increase in at least foot traffic and, like, press because of this. And, like, one article that I was reading um, was talking about how the Gardner Museum was, like, on the brink of, like, financial distress right before the heist. And they had, like, foiled a plan to, like, the FBI had foiled a plan for another heist of the Gardner Museum. And they got some more money, and then the actual heist happened. So part of me thinks this is an inside job, but that's just the conspiracy theorist part. That would be interesting. I mean, why else would the security guards cooperate? Right? Okay, two reasons to go to the museum. One is Isabella Gardner is a queen, and all of her, like, curation of art is amazing, right? 
but to the heist, right? That's such an integral part of it now. That's like, you have to know about it when you go there. You know, you just do. The empty frames, you see them. Yeah. Draws attention. Curious. Not that we're promoting any conspiracy theory. It's just a thought. <laughs> no, it is a thought. And it's definitely something people have thought about. Like, Oh, I'm sure, know, yeah. If they were on the brink of financial ruin and then this happened and it, like, boosted their publicity, it's really interesting. I wonder why, like, the thieves didn't just put a replica of the paintings in for a while. Because um, I feel like that definitely could have drawn, like, taken off some of the heat from them. You know, like if they stole 13 works and say they like left 12 replicas and like one original was like left there, but they like, I don't know, made it seem like they stole it or something. Or like maybe they, I'm sorry, I meant to say like they stole one piece and like made it look like that one piece was gone and then just like threw away that one piece, did whatever they wanted with that and then resold all the replicas, but they were actually the real ones. Like, no one would ever know, and they'd think they just came for that one piece that was thrown, right? Well, I feel like it's it's unlikely that they would have, like, a copy of these paintings just, like, lying around. But, like, I do think about how, like, at the MFA specifically, there's a... The MFA is obviously different because they're not, like, dedicated to keeping stuff in the exact same spot. So things get uh, loaned out a lot. Things get moved from room to room just, like, at, like, you know, like, normal. But, like... There are times where, like, okay, so I don't know if you've been to the MFA, like, recently or whatever, but there is, like, a very, like, famous painting of um, Paul Revere in the American section. It's just, like... I have seen that one. Yeah, it's, like, at the front, it's, like, a very iconic photo of him. People say he looks like Jack Black, but that's irrelevant. <laughs> so, um, recent, like, right at the end of my, my co-op, um, they removed it and said <laughs> it was on loan to, like, the Worcester Museum of Art. And, like, so they put a painting of Sam Adams in that spot instead because it's, like, a very prominent part of the uh, ex- exhibit, so they could just leave it empty. But, like, I was, like, what if, like, something happened to it and they just kind of said some, it was missing or, like, it was on loan or, like, they're cleaning it up? Because there's also a lot of times where you see a sculpture or a piece, like, a historical object removed, and there's just, like, a little thing there that says, like, this is uh, undergoing um, conservation right now. Like, so that's something else they could have done. They could have just been like, oh, yeah, like, we're fixing this. Like, we'll bring it back later. Because the majority of people who go to these museums, they're visiting it, like, once, like, in a year, if not, like, once in their entire life. So they're just going to be like, oh, that's just in cleaning. Like, I won't worry about it. Like, something to think about. This is a thought. We're just peddling conspiracy theories right now. (laughs) And with that, we'll end our second episode. Thanks for (laughs) listening. What the spark. Bye, everybody.